But I appreciate Jimmy D giving me the opportunity to come anytime because I love coming back here. But uh, this being the weekend that we're right before 9-11, it does bring back a lot of personal memories. I met you Air Force Colonel brother back there, Mike. Thank you for your 27 years, my friend. Uh, their daughter was actually at the Pentagon, I believe as a contractor, the day the plane hit. So there's a lot of us, and I know Annette, you were probably caught up in a lot of that too, all of the federal employees and everybody. We didn't know where this was going. I talked to a lady yesterday, I spoke over up in Orange County for a 9-11 event, and a lady came up to me later and she said, I just wanted to tell you, my husband, was one of the uh, senior engineers up at the nuclear plant at Lake Anna. And she said, we didn't know if they were also gonna go after the grid or whatever. So she said for like three or four days, he didn't come home. Everybody was on high alert. Everybody was wondering what's next, if there's other things that are gonna come. Uh, I'll say more about that in a little bit, but I have so many memories of my time here. You know, we had some challenging times together. We walked with a number of families in this church through the valley of the shadow of death, as we sang earlier. I remember uh, talking to a wife, and y'all remember Kelly losing her husband in a very tragic event in their family. I did the wedding for their precious daughter, and it wasn't long after that that we were here for David's funeral. I walked with this sweet couple and their daughter and son-in-law for the ongoing of their precious little granddaughter. We walked through those situations together. But I also have a wonderful memory of baptizing back here. And I'll never forget that. So there's so many, so many things come into my mind when I'm, I'm back here at Hillsboro. Uh, I owe Jimmy D a lot. Now, don't tell him I said this, he owes me a lot too. Uh, and Mike, you said you came because he owes you money. So, I mean, Jimmy D, you know, he's got a lot of bills to pay. But, but I owe Jimmy D, and Jimmy D, I, I say he owes me. I did do mentoring with Jimmy D for quite a number of months. Some of it was for, for his schooling when he was working on his MDiv. He needed a mentor, and I served in that function. But then we just did a lot of one-on-one -on -one anyway. We just chose, Jimmy D called me, and he said, uh, Dr. J, can we get together? I just need your, your wisdom on some things. And one, so we, we've spent many a time around a lunch or a breakfast. And I say I owe Jimmy D. I owe him for a lot of things. He's blessed my life. It wasn't just one way. It was Jimmy D blessing me and Megan. Precious, precious family. Beautiful family. But my grandson and his wife are here this morning and they have now moved over in the valley just over the hill over here uh, in Fishersville um, but I did their wedding back in December but I didn't think it would be best for them if I did their premarital counseling so I said uh, I'm going to arrange someone to do your premarital counseling are y'all okay with that and they both readily said yes well I called Jimmy D. And I said, Jimmy D., uh, you were a liberty man. Well, my grandson and granddaughter-in-law, they just graduated from liberty and they're getting married. Would you be willing to do their, their premarital counseling? And he very quickly said, absolutely, Joel. And so not only did he do their premarital counseling, and they met here at the Parsonage, but Megan provided a meal for them. So, I mean, just so hospitable to them. And so they have a connection with Jimmy D and, and as well as, as I do in our family. Uh, today, not only do I have my grandson, Justin, and his wife, Hannah, but I have my granddaughter, Ava, here. I have my beautiful wife, Donna, who, uh, uh, by the way, that music this morning, thank y'all so much. It's so worshipful. You just took our hearts and pointed them heavenward and the Lord inhabits the praises of his people but uh, I, I'm just glad my, my, my dear wife was here and you mentioned 50 years this year will December will be 53 uh, James how many did, did 
did y'all have? How many years were y'all married? I think that's worthy of an applause. <laughs> Two of the people that I fell in love with, and there's many uh, in this fellowship, but two of the people I fell in love with were James and Margie. They just blessed me and so faithful. James still serving, helping with the offering. Uh, so we, we, we do understand that when the two of you made that promise, James, you didn't know who was going to go first, but you both fulfilled that vow. And so it's just a, a privilege for me to have you as my friend. And we, we both, and I know you in a special way, but I have wonderful memories of your sweet wife as well. So, so gentle, so kind, so loving and faithful. Glad your daughter can be with you today. Uh, I'm going to use for my text Isaiah 55. If you'd like to follow along, it's not going to be on the screen. I didn't uh, send it in in time. Matter of fact, I didn't send it in at all. So it'll be, I'll be reading. If you want to find it, I'll give you a minute, or you can just listen as I read uh, Isaiah 55. And I'm going to start with verse 6. Uh, you notice in the bulletin, if you'd like to stand for the reading, you're welcome to do so. And I'll give you another minute to, to find it if you would like. Isaiah 55, beginning with verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. You know, doesn't this sound like a New Testament passage in many ways? I mean, this is exactly what the Lord, what Jesus came. And this, you will find this repeated in the New Testament. But the people in the New Testament had the big picture. The prophet Isaiah was looking towards the coming answer, the full answer through the Messiah. We, we look back now. We can, we can read these words and we can add a fuller meaning to them. We know what they mean to us. But the same God who's offering the world today that opportunity to receive his mercy and his forgiveness for them to, to become a new creation, forsake the old. The same Lord was alive then too. So the one thing that's consistent about the Bible is the same God inspired it. And there is that golden thread, some have called it, that goes from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, and it's all the same. There is no contradiction. It's all the same message. We just see over time a, a, a broader understanding comes to us. Uh, the more scripture the Lord has given us. The Lord gave Paul information Isaiah didn't have. And the gospel writers had the life of Jesus that Isaiah didn't have. He, he, he had the promise. So I just, I just love the way the Lord spoke to Isaiah. So he said, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. And the Lord said through Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. You see what the Lord is doing? He's giving us that. It's a metaphor. He's describing the sowing of his word in images we understand. The rain and the snow, watering the earth so that the seeds will burst forth. And the Lord says, so is my word like that, that goes out from my mouth. And it will not return to me empty, just like the rain that falls and the snow that falls. It has a job to do. It has a purpose. And the Lord said, so is my word. 
It will not return to me empty or void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Oh, our God is such a purposeful God. There's always a purpose in what God's doing. Always a purpose in the universe, always a purpose in each individual life. God has created you with a purpose in mind, and me with a purpose in mind. And so he says, My word will not return empty or void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills, we certainly know all about that in central Virginia, and it's the foothills. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. You may be seated. I I need to give my wife credit for bringing this passage to my mind. She did that recently. I did a, a funeral and burial for a friend of ours, really one of the first people we met when we moved to Virginia in 1992. Uh, He and his wife, they had a a cottage on their property up in uh, northern Albemarle, right at the Greene County line. You could see Greene County from their property. They had a cottage on their property. Well, when we moved up from First Baptist Salisbury, North Carolina, we still had a house to sell in North Carolina. And so we didn't really want to lease a place or if we could help it until we got rid of our house or buy a house. So they said, come on up and stay on our property. Stay in the cottage as long as you want to. And we did for months. Uh, so I did his service recently, and it's such beautiful views from that property of the Blue Ridge. It's 80-something acres, and it's got a big lake. From the big picture window of that cottage, you're seeing the glory of God. You're seeing beautiful land, fields, but the mountains were always in the background. So we buried him on that property. And so we were thinking and looking for reminders of that part of God's creation that would apply. And, and, and Donna ran across this, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You know, there used to be an old saying, If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, does it make a noise? Does it make a sound? This verse tells me, oh, yeah. Nothing happens without God's notice. Remember Jesus saying, not even one sparrow falls? I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of sparrows, and not just sparrows, but I don't think the Lord was saying I'm partial towards sparrows. I think it was all of his flock, not one falls that the Lord's not aware of, not one. And Jesus was saying that not just to describe how important every part of creation was to God, but he was saying, and you're more precious than that. So guess what? If he's got his eye on the sparrow, he's got his eye on you. He cares about you. So, yeah, I think everything in creation the Lord's very mindful of. Now, I visited Israel twice, Donna went with me. We did a, led a tour over there once, but on the Sea of Galilee, if you hadn't been, you, I would encourage you to try to go if you can. As the song says, it is where Jesus walked, literally. But when you're on the Sea of Galilee, you, you, you read those stories of Jesus on the sea, and they, they just come to life. And that's what we did as part of that tour. We were on the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is not a huge body of water. It's fed uh, at the heads of the Jordan River that comes down from Mount Hermon, fills the Sea of Galilee. The water flows out into the Jordan, goes into the Dead Sea. But on that sea, you read the Gospels, and you realize how many times Jesus and his disciples interacted on the Sea of Galilee. Several times bad storms came up. Several times bad storms came up in the middle of the night. 
Now, you think about being in a bad storm in total darkness and there's no Coast Guard. Nobody's going to come rescue you. You don't, they probably, I don't know that they even thought of a life jacket. In several of those stories, we hear of Jesus being with his disciples in the middle of the sea in the storm. And more than once, for their benefit, not his, he calmed the storm. Peace be still. Peace be still, he said. And you know what happened? Not just the storm on the Sea of Galilee ceased, but I've done a little bit of study in meteorology, if I can say it right. And weather here is connected to weather here, and weather here is connected to weather here, and it's global. When Jesus ceased the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he was affecting the weather in China. He was affecting the weather in California before it was called California. So what Jesus was doing wasn't just one little isolated, okay, I'm going to put a bubble over the Sea of Galilee right now. No. He said, peace be still, and the whole world answered. And he did it for his disciples. No wonder Jesus told them one day, he said, if you just have faith of a grain of mustard seed, Isaiah's talking about that seed. Jesus said, if you have faith of a grain of mustard seed, I think what he was saying is that mustard seed is small, but when it breaks forth, it's going to be much, much, much larger than it originally started. And if you have faith, that's what happens. If you have faith of a grain of mustard seed, what did he say? You can move mountains. And he wasn't talking metaphorically then. He was talking about moving Afton Mountain. Wouldn't have been any problem for him. And he told his disciples, if you could just have that kind of faith, guys, there's nothing, nothing beyond what can happen. And so in this text, it says, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. We've had a couple of winds blow at our house the last few days. We had one storm, put some rain down pretty heavy. You know, when I was little, I used to pray that a storm would come. You talk about growing up in the deep south. South Carolina, no air conditioning. It gets hot in South Carolina. It gets hot in Virginia, too, but it gets hot in South Carolina in July. And you don't have any air conditioning. You're laying in a bed, and you just soak in that bed. And I just prayed, Lord, send a cloud, we called it. Because it would cool things down. I didn't mind the lightning. I didn't mind the thunder. I just wanted to please cool things down, Lord. I kept having to turn my pillow over to the cool side all night long. Wouldn't stay cool very long. My point is, God's in everything. But he's not just in everything for the sake of being in everything. God's in everything for your sake and my sake. It's all for his creation to respond and obey. And do you know, Billy Graham said years ago something that I totally agree with. He said the only part of God's creation that's ever rebelled was man. Everything else in creation has always done exactly what it's supposed to do. But because we have free will, and he allows us the opportunity to reject him, to rebel, to deny, we're the only part of his creation that's ever not done what we're supposed to do. But I want to get back to this. The trees will clap for just a moment. Last weekend, not yesterday, Virginia's had two rough weekends in football. Hey, but so has Alabama. No names mentioned here. Uh, but last weekend, I decided that I wanted to go see Virginia play Tennessee in Nashville. So I asked my family, I said, who's in? And I found five of them that would go. My wife, she doesn't like that kind of road trip. She don't care about football for one thing, but that's a long ride to Nashville. So anyway, Justin and Hannah, right here with me. Papa, we're in. 
My younger daughter, Jennifer, and it, you mentioned Bill earlier, that's Jennifer's, Bill is her husband. Jennifer and Jennifer's oldest son, Thomas, another one of my grandsons, said, we're in. So the five of us, I've got five tickets to the Virginia Athletic Office. We were on the 40-yard line, row C. I mean, that's the best seat I've ever had. We were up there in Nashville in the Titan Stadium, and it was like, what? been a lot more fun if we'd have won but anyway we were there but in the hotel where we stayed and, and I just say this so that it reminds me if not you me be open God wants to show you something in things when you're not expecting it God taught me something I'm 73 I've been a pastor I've been an army chaplain I've I've been around but I still want to be a blank slate when it comes to what he wants to show me fresh and new. And up there that morning, I was down in the little coffee area. That particular hotel didn't give you a free breakfast like some of them do, which I regret. But anyway, I ordered coffee, and this, this elderly black lady, and she was old, and she was slow, but we got to talking. And I realized, and very quickly realized, she's my sister. She knows the Lord. And she taught me something. We got to talking about the, the Bible and about the Lord and about faith and one thing. And she said, can I tell you something? And I think she was really hoping that I wouldn't just reject it out of hand or call her foolish or... Just say, that's, that's not important. Why would you even talk about that? I said, sure you can tell me something. Because I could tell. She was connected. She said, last week, God showed her something. And she just felt like it was worth somebody else experiencing the joy of it. I said, okay, tell me about it. She said, I was sitting out in the yard one day last week. And she said, I was looking. And she said, there was no wind and I was looking at the tree, the tree line, and she said, all of a sudden, the lower branches started dancing. There wasn't any wind in the upper part. She said, but I looked, and these lower leaves just started dancing. And she said, the Lord's passing by. I said, oh, my goodness. How many times have I walked through nature something going on over here, and I don't see the Lord. She saw him. You know why I know she saw him? Because the Bible says, test the spirits. When you experience something, does it edify God? Does it draw you closer to God? Or does it honor Satan? That honored God. That was a God thing. The Lord gave her that. And I said, "Woo." So I read this, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You remember what Jesus said after the triumphal entry, and people were saying, why are you letting these people brag on you like this? Hosanna to the king. You know, the Pharisees, they got all over that. Why are you accepting all this accolade? Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm going to tell you the truth. If these hadn't done that and put those palm branches down, even the rocks would have cried out. He wasn't kidding. If God wants the rocks to cry out, they'll cry out. They cried out in Morocco yesterday. Thousands have died. They cry out in ways we may not realize what's going on. But in Jesus' case, I think it would have been verbal if he'd have wanted the rocks to cry out. Hosanna. I guess what I'm saying is that lady that day brought me to a, a deeper awareness. I mean, I know where God is. He's here for one thing. Jesus Christ is right here for one thing. And I know that just like it says in Isaiah when he says, and the heavens are higher than the earth, and my ways are not your ways. The Lord is saying, I'm in a special place called heaven. You're down there on earth. 
So there is a heaven and there is a difference. In heaven, the kingdom is complete. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer, that thy will be done on earth as what? As it is in heaven. In heaven is perfect obedience. It's perfect completion. So that lady taught me something. I want to be more mindful. I want to be more receptive. And whenever I see the trees moving, I want to realize it's God's creation calling me to think of him. And I want to join the trees in clapping. The trees of the field will clap their hands. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign. Now, I want to shift gears. Where'd that happen to that clock back there? I didn't bring my watch today. I don't even know what time it is. Anyway, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I want to switch gears and talk about 9-11 for just a minute. Over in the Gospel of John, I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase. John's Gospel is interesting read, and I preached on John's Gospel here for a number of Sundays in a row because we talked about how that five chapters in the Gospel of John were the teachings of Jesus in the upper room. Five chapters on the teachings from the upper room? Jesus ministered for three years. All that ministry was in the rest of John. One-fourth of John was preaching from the upper room, teaching from the upper room. I'd say that's significant. Well, in that upper room that night, they were preparing the Passover. Jesus gave a new meaning to it. He, he taught them what it really means and how he was that Paschal lamb. He was that Passover lamb. But in that room that night was Judas. They were at the table. Judas was in the room. Jesus knew Judas was the one. The disciples didn't know it. When he told them, there's going to be the one to betray me, they wanted to know who it was. Somehow Judas had lived among them in such a way they hadn't picked up on it. Judas hadn't bought in. Judas was the treasure. Judas was probably, uh, you know, a lot of that money had gone to Judas's pocket. But they thought Judas is okay. Jesus knew, and he knew that Judas was the son of perdition. What does that mean? It means that all along, Judas, God knew Judas's heart was going to go that way, and he was the son of perdition. All along, that was going to happen. Over in uh, John 13, picture this. Jesus and the 12 are sitting around the table, breaking bread, experiencing the Passover. And Jesus is telling them what these elements mean. Then all of a sudden, he says this. It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to Judas, what you are about to do, do quickly. And Jesus told him, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. Listen to this. As soon as Judas had what? Had taken the bread. He shared the table. He shared the elements. 
As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. Oh, it was night in more ways than one. Oh, it was night. The world was in darkness. It was night, all right. Not just physically dark. It was night spiritually. Now, I want to tie that to 9-11 just a minute. I happened to be at the Pentagon right very quickly after the event. At that time, I was in the uh, Army Reserves. And I was called up to report to assist. And so I walked into the Pentagon, and I was assigned to the Pentagon chaplain's office. And the Pentagon chaplain, who was my friend, became my friend, Chaplain Colonel Henry Haynes. Henry had been awake for 48 straight hours by the time I got there. He had been ministering. He handed me the keys to the Pentagon chaplain's office and said, here. He didn't know me from the man in the moon. He gave me the keys and said, I'm going home. I'm done. I said, okay. We later got to explore a lot of things together and talk, and I, I was his encourager. He was my encourager. I happened to be a lieutenant colonel at the time, so I was a senior one to all these backfield chaplains that came in, so I was supervising them. And the first memorial service was going to be held in the Pentagon for two of the Army personnel, very first service we had in the Pentagon. This was before the big outside memorial ceremony where President Bush was there and everybody was there. This was inside the Pentagon Auditorium, and it was for two Army personnel, Lieutenant Colonel Jerry Dickerson, Sergeant First Class Mullen White, Chaplain Haynes. It would have been his duty, but he came to me, and he said, Joel, you got this. He said, I can't do it. He said, my plate's too full. He said, I've got all these staff meetings. I've got all this paperwork. I've got all this to do. He said, I can't prepare. So he said, the service is two days from now. You got this. So I met with the general officers that were in the chain of command for those two personnel. I met with their direct supervisors. I met with the family. We, I did that first service on the 25th of September, two weeks after the event. Two days later, I did another one for two more personnel. I'm simply saying that when I got to know those families, I realized these are real people. And they serve our nation so faithfully. I was really encouraged when I looked in your prayer list and you've got pray for our nation and those serving in the military. Joshua Gilliland, Noel Rose, Mark McGill, and Bryce Vandekassel. All four of those young men, the first time I spoke here, were still here in the pews. I got to know them before any of them went in the military. And man, I'm so proud of them. I dare say there's larger churches that don't have four active duty members of their fellowship that are serving military right now. I dare say there's very many churches at all that have four. But for a small church to have four young men who've answered the call and are still serving, it says something about you. That they gathered in their time here through their youth ministry and through the church worship services, a, a call to service, which these young men have accepted as a call to serve God and country. And I'm so proud of them. Bryce Vandercastle grew up in First Baptist, Salis uh, Salisbury, First Baptist Charlottesville, I was his family's minister over there before they came over here. I've known Bryce since he was Bryce. And the McGill family was at First Baptist Charlottesville. I knew them over there. And then, of course, the Gillilands, I've gotten to know them, and Noah as well when he was here. I'm saying that right now, today, we have... Many of our finest young men and young women who are out serving our country. And we may not be in an active, large conflict right now like we were for years in Afghanistan and Iraq. But do you realize we have military in over 140 countries right now? And I'm not talking about embassy guards. I'm talking about military that are there training or doing missions that we, do, we will never hear about to protect this country. When Don and I rolled into Fayetteville, North Carolina, for me to accept my assignment as the detachment chaplain, rear detachment chaplain for the 82nd Airborne, which I did for three and a half years, 
we rolled into Fayetteville, and coming in, there was a Krispy Kreme. Well, I, that's my temptation, and I yield to it often. So we saw the Krispy Kreme, and we saw the hot light was on. I said, oh, my goodness. I, I, honey, we got to go in there. So I went in and got me two, two dozen. I think I got her one donut. She's more healthy-minded than I am. I might have given her one or two of my chocolates. I don't know. But anyway, we're there in the Krispy Kreme getting ready to take on this mission. At that time, this was in 2007. I'd just gotten back from Iraq. The 82nd was deployed or getting ready to deploy everybody in the, in the division. First time since World War II that the entire 82nd Airborne Division was going out the door at the same time. 22,000 paratroopers going out the door. Some to Afghanistan, some to Iraq. Hundreds of them were going to die before my time was over down there. But on the wall, in that Krispy Kreme, there was a poster. And on the poster, it said, sleep well tonight. The 82nd Airborne is on point, the nation's guard of honor. That struck me. Sleep well tonight, America. Sleep well tonight, citizens of this country, because the 82nd Airborne is on point. But I want to broaden it. It's not just the 82nd Airborne. It's those Air Force pilots and crews. And it says Navy guys that are on those six- and seven-month deployments every time you turn around away from your family. It's those Marines that stay ready to hit any beach. It's, it's the Coast Guard. It's, it's all of our military. We can sleep well tonight. They're on point. But let me tell you something else. In New York City on 9-11, when the towers were burning, and even after one had fallen, as hundreds and even thousands were rushing out of those buildings, hundreds were rushing in. We lost almost 500 first responders when those towers went down. Evil visited the Twin Towers. Evil visited the Pentagon. Evil, evil visited that plane that crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Evil visited that upper room that night, but it did not prevail. Evil was in that upper room, but it didn't prevail. It just unlocked events where the greatest act of love would ever happen. No greater love than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. We know first and foremost that's Jesus. But that verse doesn't just have his name on it. No greater love than this, that someone would lay down his or her life for others. Oh, there was evil visited that upper room, but what Judas unlocked was these things that were going to go into motion where Jesus was going to win the victory once and for all over sin and death. Oh, evil visited, but it didn't overcome. It didn't prevail. Evil visited the Twin Towers. Now, I can talk about the Pentagon. I can certainly talk about those heroes on that plane that kept that plane that crashed in Shanksville from hitting another target in Washington. Evil visited those places, but it didn't prevail. They were heroes in every single one of those places. But New York in particular, Donna and I went to New York City, even though I was at the Pentagon during 9-11, we went to New York City, it happened to be on the anniversary, one-year anniversary when the towers fell. We were there with a church group on a tour, and we toured down there at the site, Ground Zero. And on that day, it was damp, and the clouds were low, and you could still smell, a year later, you could still smell the burn. You just could tell you were in a place where there had been a lot of fire. You could still smell it a year later. Oh, evil will visit your life and mine. Evil comes in a lot of ways. But the Lord's message to us is evil can visit 
But if we allow the Lord to do his thing, it will not prevail. Good can come out of evil. It has to. Because evil's all around us. There's no hope if nothing good can come out of evil. God doesn't want evil. But he's not going to let it win. Even in your life and mine. So evil visited the Twin Towers, but it didn't prevail. Police, fire, EMS, and hundreds would die later from the effects of being in that hazardous smoke. Not just 457 died, but it was more like 800 died. Why? It was their duty. And they basically said what Isaiah said a long time ago. He said, here am I, send me. So I'm so grateful for our first responders today. Because they don't know what they might be called to get into. My son-in-law, Bill Underwood, he was with Albemarle County Police quite a few years. Now he's with the Sheriff's Office. But do you remember when the train wreck happened over here in Crozet sometime back? Bill was with the county police at the time. He was the first responder of any kind to get on the scene. And Bill was credited with saving the life of one of those men that was on that truck. He could have said, nah, I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to get messed up. I might get in trouble or I might get hurt or I might this or that. No, he just immediately jumped in and that man was saved. And every day it happens that police and fire and rescue lose their lives trying to save somebody else. We sleep well. Let me close with this story. When I was at the Pentagon, part of my job, along with doing those memorial services and all, and I accompanied, I accompanied a couple of officers to deliver human remains, actually, to some families in urns, Stainless steel urns with an eagle on them. And that would be what was found to be part of one person. No whole persons, but parts of persons. That DNA would say this belongs to this person. I would accompany notifying folks. or not. They weren't notifying at that point, but they were taking remains to the families. We'd, I did some of that. Hard job. But I was also part of a critical incident stress debriefing team. And some of you know something about that. You know, fire departments use that method. Uh, a lot of first responders organizations use that. What you do is if a, if a group of people have been through a traumatic experience, especially when there's been loss of life or some trauma, usually those people that were exposed, they need to deal with their emotions. So the critical incident stress process is you bring that group in that shared the experience and you get them to talking about their emotions and feelings and they're in a safe place because those people shared the experience with them and they help to get rid of some of that. Well, I was in a critical incident stress debriefing team with a psychiatrist, social worker, chaplain. We did a lot of that, but I remember this one group in particular, they wanted to keep people together, if possible, who were in the same place when it happened. So they would have shared a similar experience. Well, this day, there were 13 people we were going to be debriefing. And the psychiatrist who was leading it, good man, good man. He had a certain checklist to go, about, go down how to deal with this. And, they, you know, it was the first thing he would say, okay, tell me who you are and where were you when the event happened and so on and so forth. Well, in that group, instead of, okay, let's do it according to the book, First person up said, nope, I'm not telling you anything until I first of all say this. That man saved my life and pointed over to an army master sergeant. That man saved my life. Next person up, that man saved my life. It went around the room. Everybody in the room pointed to that man. That man saved my life. I'm not going to get into this discussion until I let you know that man saved my life. I have a need to tell you that man saved my life. I was curious, what, what, what exactly happened? Well, they had seen the two planes, second plane go into 
World Trade Center, and they knew already that we had planes in the air that wouldn't follow in their flight path. So they were, people were running to all the operation centers, and everybody was busy, and so they had just broken up their meeting. There was a two-star general in that group, and there were some civilians in that group. They had just broken up their meeting, and they were on the, the end of the building that was hit. And when the plane hit, immediately there were two fireballs. I had so many people tell me in one-on-one -on -one counseling and in group counseling, I saw two fireballs. And in reality, there was two. One was the plane's fuel, but it also hit on the heliport side of the Pentagon, and it got hot enough later that fuel dump erupted. So we had two fireballs. Well, these people began to talk about how that man saved their life, and what they described was this. when the, It didn't take it but seconds. That intense heat was everywhere on that side of the building and intense blackness. The smoke was just acrid and thick. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. When the plane hit, the master sergeant was the only one that had left the office, and he was in the hall. When the plane hit, it threw him down the hall. But the smoke had filled the hall. Well, everybody in that room that was still in the room said, I heard them say this, they all expressed it in different ways. They knew they were going to die. Every one of them said, I knew I was going to die. There was no way out. I couldn't see. There was smoke in every direction. There was no escape. I just reconciled the fact, I'm going to die right here. Well, that master sergeant decided, I don't know if they're alive or dead in there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can. So he broke one of those glasses that the fire, those glass areas where the fire department has axes, but they also have lamps and flashlights I'm at and they, he grabbed a flashlight and he started trying to get back as close as he could to that area not knowing if anybody was alive and he began to call out can you hear me can you hear my voice and these 12 people in that room said yes yes we can hear you we can hear you at that moment I'm not sure they thought that was going to do them any good but we can hear you and he said this and it burned into my memory he said, get down on your hands and knees and crawl towards my voice. But then he said this, and it rang a chaplain's bell. Come towards the light. Get down on your hands and knees, crawl towards my voice, and come towards the light. That's what we're all about, isn't it? A world that doesn't know where to turn, a world that has no way out, a world that's dying. And Jesus said, you're that master sergeant. Your job, come this way. Come this way. There's safety here. There's hope here. There's life here. Come this way. Come to the light. The light we're talking about is Jesus, the light of the world. But that's our mission. You know, all 12 of those people survived. Some of them were in slings and some of them you could see they had some burns, superficial burns, not real life-threatening or anything. But all 12 of them, they wanted to make sure you understood that man risked his life to save my life, and I'm here because of him. It's just something that the Scripture speaks of that we're called if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, somewhere we may not be called upon to lay our life on the line, literally die, but we're called upon to have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ says, nobody's beyond God's love. The mind of Christ says, I died for the whole world. The mind of Christ says, I don't care what a person looks like. I don't care what they act like. I don't care if they don't smell right. I love them. And whether they love me back or not, I love them. And I'm putting you here. If you love me, you will love them. Come to the light. That's what we're about. So two last thoughts. I hope you'll take this with you. One. Next time you're sitting somewhere and you start seeing the little leaves twiddling and the big leaves aren't moving, 
Oh, Lord, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. You're walking through, aren't you? You were here all the time. You just reminded me you were here all the time. Secondly, 9-11 reminds me a lot of good people set a great example of laying it all out there. And in reality, every day, those in our military and our first responders, every single day, they're laying it all out there. It's always about others. Well, as Christians, that's our mission. Jesus said there's only two commands. You can boil it down to two. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Only two. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Hillsborough Church. Thank you, Father, for its history, 184 years. Lord. And I do believe, I do believe as long as you want to keep this old world going and you don't come for your church, I believe Hillsborough Church has a bright future because they, just like today, we talked about the state missions. This church has been mission-minded. Lord, I've seen the shoeboxes pile up here without Operation Samaritan's Purse, Lord. I, I know this church has sent mission teams out on the foreign fields, on the state fields, on the national fields. I know this church has been about the Father's business. But Lord, I just pray that going forward, you will bless the pastor and his wife. Bless Jimmy D and Megan, Lord, and their precious children. Bless the leadership of this church. Bless every member of this church. And may this church continue to be a bright light here in this community, but from this community, Lord, to the ends of the earth. And Lord, as we think about 9-11 as a nation, may we humble ourselves as a people. And may we be willing to turn from our evil ways. And may we be willing to, to seek the Lord. And Lord, you've said then and now, if if my people who are called by my name will, will, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'll heal their land. Lord, we need a healing. And Lord, we can't, we can't make anybody else honor that, but we can do it ourselves. May it begin with each of us. Lord, I, I, I think of my brother James here today. I said, Lord, that's why we're in the church. Because we worship you, so when the time comes, we lose our dear life partner. We don't say goodbye. James didn't have to say goodbye to his wonderful mate, wonderful wife, Lord. He didn't say goodbye. As Christians, Lord, we're able to say, until we meet again, honey. Thank you for that. Use us as you see fit, Lord, in Jesus' name.